Good morning, everyone. Our scripture reading today is found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 25, and 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 through 13. And I will read these passages for us this morning. This is the word of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not honor, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily anger, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Good morning, everyone. Praise be to God the giver of life. Praise be to God, the one who sustains our life. And praise be to that same God who bestows upon eternal or everlasting life. His covenant is indeed an eternal covenant that he made with you and I through his son, Jesus Christ. From the beginning of time, he chose us, he redeemed us, with the life that we have today, he revealed to us this eternal plan, a mystery for all the ages, that in Christ Jesus, anyone who believes and calls upon his name shall be saved. 
And the same eternal covenant assures us that God's promise to us to be his people will never, never end. You, my brothers and sisters, belong to him. Rejoice in him. May your hearts overflow and be overwhelmed by the intensity of his love. And may you either weep, cry for joy, or sing to the Lord for all that he has done. Praise be to our God. We continue our series on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. When we look at this list, we see something very interesting that Paul wants to accentuate. Paul wants to tell us that these different characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit is indeed simply one fruit, not many, but just one. If you ever go to a church that has a children's ministry, and perhaps they're working on the fruit of the Holy Spirit, oftentimes you'll see a picture of a tree on the wall, and you'll see separate fruit, one that says love, joy, peace, patience, etc., and it gives the, the perception to the children. It gives the perception to us as adults that these are sort of separate fruits, very much distinguishable, that each of us have to work on. But in fact, this tree that grows from those who know the Lord, this fruit that is that 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 sprouts from those who've been planted in the Word of God is only one fruit. There's only one fruit that comes from this. And in fact, if, if we really wanted to, we could, we could hyphenate all of this or be like the Germans and just squash everything together and make a new word and say the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All together. And that this fruit, in, in a sense, is all related to one another. If you were to take a bite of the fruit, you wouldn't bite it and say, hmm, I, I taste the love part. Or, hmm, I, I taste the faithfulness part. But if you were to bite into the fruit of the Spirit of God that is born in us, when you bite it, you would taste all of it at once. How can we speak of love without speaking of patience? How can we speak of self-control without speaking of kindness? How can we speak of goodness without speaking of gentleness? All of these are related to one another. These are all one encompassing fruit that the Spirit bears in those who believe. And so when we go through each of these individual characteristics, 
you will see that there is some something that is distinguished from the others, but you'll also see lots of overlap as well. And I pray that as you, as we continue with this series, and as you yourself start to meditate on what each of these characteristics mean, that you will see yourself floating or or digressing or digressing is the wrong word but you will see yourself encompassing all the other characteristics of this one fruit at once and it's okay for that is what is meant by this one fruit of the holy spirit today we look at love And we ask ourselves the question, what is love? And how does it relate to all of these other characteristics of this fruit of the Holy Spirit? And we see that Paul does gives us a very straightforward answer in 1 Corinthians 13. If we look at verse 4, you already see love is patient, love is kind. We already see that there's there's two other characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit right there in 1 Corinthians 13. And we see that Paul himself understands that love encompasses all of these things. But there is a question that we need to step back and look at in terms of how does Bible portray love as a whole? And how does this portrayal of love or this understanding of love, well, how does it work down into our lives here today? Well, philosophers of the ancient times have always tried to understand uh, what is love. And they would separate love into three different categories. They would call it agape love, which in their philosophy, meant a divine love. They would talk about philos, which in their philosophy, talk about brotherly or community love. And they would talk about eros, which is a love between a husband and a wife. And and, and these characteristics sort of has, has trickled down into our world today. But overall, they were looking at, well, what is love? Is it, is it a philosophy? Is it a feeling? Is it a a relationship? Is it um, something that we can work at? Uh, Is it something that's learned? Is it something that is innate in us? And there's one sort of question that they threw out to all the philosophers, and and I think it's it's a wonderful question, even for us today, that love is basically, love is basically seeking the highest good of another. In other words, that they all agreed, even without knowing God and knowing the Bible, that love was always something that was other-seeking. That love was not self-referential. That the term self-love was actually a contradiction. That love itself had to be something that, that was projected onto another person. And the question being then is that, well, if, if love is something that's other-focused, what, what, what am I doing for them? What is my agenda towards them? 
Is my agenda getting them from point A to point B? Is my agenda um, eliciting some type of reaction from them? And they came up with a, a very simple response. Love is seeking the highest good of another person. What is best for them? What is best for this person that, that stands before you? And of course, that idea of love grows deeper and deeper the more you have knowledge of that person. The more you know someone well, the better, according to the Greeks, you can love that person. If you know their tendencies, if you know what they, what they enjoy, what they do not enjoy, if you know their weaknesses so that you can, you can protect them, if you know sort of what they need to learn so that you can help educate them, then love becomes more defined in what we can do for that person. And in fact, in today's world, I think that's how most of us think about love. That this notion of seeking the highest good for another has filtered down in our world today. And we would all agree together as simple as human beings that that's what love is. We just want what's best for you. And we will do what's best for you according to our knowledge of who you are and our ability to exercise that knowledge in loving you. Now, there are some truths in what the Greeks saw. But if we use those categories and we jump into Scripture, we will see a fuller picture of what love truly is. You see, in 1 John chapter 4, it says very succinctly that God is love. And so we see that God in himself as the Godhead, as God truly as God's self, that he holds the complete characteristic of love. And we see that in the Trinity. We, we see that there's a Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit who are directing their energies at glorifying one another, directing their energies so that each one will have the honor that they deserve. We see that God himself has revealed himself to you and I. Not only did he create us in his image, but he revealed to us in our hearts that our desire is to love him and our desire is to be loved by him as well. Now, the Greeks wondered what the highest good was. Scripture teaches us that the highest good is for people to know God and to worship God. 
the highest good for any human being and to show love towards them is to bring them closer to the Lord and closer in relationship with Him. Now, when we hear this, you know, what goes off in our heads is, yeah, I, I understand that. I, I understand that knowing God is important. But our hearts reveal to us that oftentimes that what we know about loving God and what we know about helping people to love God does not reflect very well in our everyday life. For our everyday life must reflect that we indeed love God, that we indeed see knowing God as our highest good, that we indeed know that seeking after Him is more precious than seeking after diamonds or seeking after the riches of this world. And in the same way, we look at our families, we look at our friends, we look at people around us and say, the best thing for you is to know Jesus. The best thing for you is to know the Lord. And so for you and I, our duty to ourselves and to other people is to teach and profess the gospel to others that they need to see the Father himself, that they need to know about him and worship him as you and I do. I encourage you, brothers and sisters, if you want to love other people, you must gain knowledge about who people are. You must gain the theological knowledge of what it means to be a human being, a fallen creature, what it means to, to desire to, to want meaning and love in our lives. You have to understand how, how God has answered that by sending His Son, Jesus. You've got to understand that, that when we preach the gospel, that some will come and listen and, and some will not. And we have to understand how the interplay between God's love and God's salvation and humanity works so that we can love people better. The way we love people who do not know the Lord is going to be different from the way that we love the people within the church. The way we love our family members will be different than we, the ways that we love strangers. But either way, our, our love for them, our goal is always that they may know Christ more and more. You see, the highest good must be Jesus, must be God himself. And we must grow in our knowledge of God. We must grow in our knowledge of humanity. That we may truly know how to enter into people's life and to show them love. Now, love is more than actions or knowledge. I think if we stopped here in this message, 
many of us would sort of perhaps see uh, if you are from an immigrant, uh, of the Korean immigrant background, uh, or even in the Asian immigrant background, I should say, that you might see your, your parents' love in this, that they are faithful to you, that they've provided for you. They, they provided uh, a house over, over a roof over your head. They provided food on the table. They provided the means for education. They, they came here to the States for you and, and, and so forth and so forth. And even we as parents or we as people, we often demonstrate our love or demonstrate our, our knowledge of doing what's best for, for one another um, by simply doing things for them. And we say, okay, I, I've shown my love for you. I've got you what you wanted, what you desired. I've, I've allowed, I've helped you get to the next stage in your life. But love encompasses more than that. And, and this is the second point. Love is not, not simply seeking the highest good of another. But love is also building intimate relationships with another. Let me say that again. Love is more than simply seeking the highest good. It includes that. But love is also building and cultivating intimate relationships with one another. You see, in God's covenant with us, in God's covenant wasn't simply a contract, right? God did not simply say, all right, um, I'll enter into this contract with you. I'll save you guys. I'll send my son Jesus, uh, yada, yada, yada. You'll eventually come to heaven. Um, enjoy heaven. I'll be in that big palace up there and you guys sort of Enjoy what's around you. He's not simply some rich guy giving charity to the people around him and then sequestering himself in his mansion. That is not love. That is not the covenant. That's still seeking the highest good. But there is an intimate relationship in love that's important in Scripture. You see, when God made the promise to be our people, to be our God and, and we his people, it is not only a covenant of seeking the highest good, but I will be your God, you will be my people, is, is God saying to us, I will be intimately involved in your life. I will be intimately in love with you, and you will be in love with me. How much more intimate can our faith be than knowing that the Holy Spirit actually lives in us, that the Holy Spirit actually um, uh, ministers to us and gives us a nearness to God That is so profound that even the angels themselves are envious. And even the angels sing praise to what God has done for you and I. Our relationship with the Lord and building relationships 
our relationship with the Lord must be more than knowledge-based, must be more than a contract. But there is affections or emotions that are involved in that knowledge. You see, God's people must have a softened heart that rejoices in Him. That experiences that love, the closeness to God, that joy and worship come out and expresses itself from our hearts. There's two subpoints to this. First is this. When you grow in your love for the Lord, when you grow in your love for Him, what actually happens is that you see the beauty of the Lord. And that beauty that you used to see in God from when you were a kid to as you grow in your faith becomes more and more beautiful to you. Let me try to express it this way. When you first come to your faith, you might see God is beautiful because He provides for you. You're like, thank you, Lord, for providing me the, the, the breath that I have. Thank you, Lord, for the, the food on this table. Oh, Lord, thank you, Lord, for the friends and the family. But as you progress in your faith, the, the beauty that you see is not simply the, the, the peripheral thing, the things around you, but you start to see that God is simply beautiful in and of himself that the beauty of the Lord that dwells in heaven is simply God himself. That God being a spirit, there's, there's nothing to look at. I mean, he's, he, it's not like he looks like some handsome actor or actors. God is simply God. And as we sort of progress in understanding our beauty of God, our love for God is commensurate with that. For without a proper understanding of beauty and what's beautiful, our love for God will not grow. And so God wants us to see that beauty. Second subpoint is that we must express with our words always, God, I love you. You might say, oh my goodness, Pastor Young's getting a little bit touchy-feely here. No, I'm not getting a little bit touchy-feely here. This is... This is what we are made to be as human beings, to express our love to the Lord. Does not God express his love to you and speak his words to you every day? We just don't hear him. He expresses it through creation and he expresses it through his scriptures all the time. The words are simply, I love you. And when we hear those words from God, what happens to us? We, we recognize that God is simply saying to us, remember the covenant and promises I have for you. You are my beloved and I love you. Our response to God must be likewise. God, I love you because you love me. And when we say those words, it's not as if the, the love between us and God has ever changed, right? I mean, God's love for us is eternal, it's stable. We, our relationship with Him is secure. But when we say to God, God, I love you, 
it's like looking back at that covenant and understanding the depths of what love really means. And the beauty of that allows us, our hearts, to draw closer to Him. Love is the most beautiful thing, and that's why it says in 1 Corinthians 13 that this is the greatest of all the things of faith, hope, and love, because it is love or being close to God, intimate with God, knowing Him and being known by Him. That's what, that's what heaven is going to be like. And it's not simply seeking each other's highest good. It's not simply knowledge. It's not simply um, you know, doing things for the Lord. It's knowing God and being known by Him. It's the eternal, I love you, to one another for all of eternity. Now, this is why the fruit of the Spirit, this idea of love, is so important. We must learn to, to love one another. That God has bound us together as human beings, and God has also bound the church together through the Spirit. And those two things that I just talked about in that sub-point is something that we need to learn. The first is to keep seeing the beauty in one another. It's too easy to see the failings of each other. It's too easy to keep records of wrong with one another. It's too easy to expose each other's sins. But what love does is love always sees the good. And love always seeks to, to cultivate that good. And so when you are around people, Rejoice in what they, in the way that the Lord has made them. Rejoice in the gifts that they have. And then rejoice and love them in, in the way that they are struggling to know, know the Lord Jesus Christ. Love them unconditionally as God has loved you. And see the beauty in that. See how each person has been made beautiful in, their, in God's eyes. You know, a lot of people, as they get older, and we hear about the midlife crisis, maybe the 30s crisis, for some of you, 40s crisis, whatever it may be, and they look back in their life. And what they're looking back at is, um, it's, not only, it's not only about what they think they've wasted, but when they look back, they're looking back at what they think is beautiful. You know, oh, I, I need that beautiful car. That's that's what's beautiful. Oh, you know, you know, some some older man. That's that's oh, there's this younger woman, this younger man. That that's what's beautiful. But as we get older in our lives, in our understanding of God, our understanding of beauty must change too, in order for our love to change. That love is more than what we see with our eyes, our physical eyes. But love is what we see, what God has revealed to us in our hearts about other people. 
will all change, brothers and sisters. New gadgets will come and go. But what's beautiful to you? The human heart. The human struggle. God's love for them. When you see that, your love will grow. And lastly, express your love to one another. Say, I love you. Give people a hug. Now think about it. When a, a parent says to a child, I love you, does that, is that really changing anything? I mean, is the father all of a sudden saying, oh, you know what? I think I'm, I've decided to love my child more. Does the mother say, you know what? I, I think I, I'm changing my standards of, of motherhood. And I'm going to say I love you to, to, to sort of rewrite the contract about what love is. No, that's not what it is. But to reassure people and to restate what is already obvious is what the human heart needs to draw closer to one another. To say, I love you. Hey, I appreciate you. Hey, you know that I'm always on your side. Hey, you know I'm always for you. Hey, you know I know I I, I you can I, I hear the mistakes you made, but know that I'm here to help you. They might already know that. But just as we repeat to the Lord, I love you, we repeat to one another as well. Love is more than just a decision. But love is our heart, our feelings, our affections as well. Draw close to one another, brothers and sisters. Draw close to the Lord. May the people see this fruit, this characteristic of this fruit of the Spirit in your lives. May people see that this love indeed is, is, is from Jesus and no one else. And may you yourself bathe in the love of the Lord and be made whole and be given peace in Him. Praise be to our God for His infinite love. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us. There is no one like you, Lord God. And Father, we, we confess that we are often people who fall into the trap of just doing things for people and saying, well, that's, that's showing love, Lord God. And it's part of it. You've done that for us. But Lord, your love it's, excels beyond that. For you feed the human heart, Lord God. You feed our affections. We know that we are loved fully as a human being. We know, Lord, in the deepest recesses of our hearts that whatever we do, whatever we say, Lord, that your love for us is always constant and assured. Lord, teach us, Lord, to do the same for others, Lord God, to love well, to see the beauty in one another, Lord God, in the way that you have made us, to see the beauty in our people in our church, Lord, as they continue to grow, 
to see beauty, Lord, not compared to the things that we dreamed about in the past, but to see beauty, Lord, according to your measure, Lord. People growing in their faith, people growing and struggling to know you. Help us, Lord God, that we may mature as men and women in our love. And lastly, Lord, help us, Lord, to express that love to one another well, Lord God. For, Lord, all of us are prone to think that we are unlovely. All of us are prone to think that God himself has left us. And all of us are prone to think that our brothers and sisters, Lord, no longer care for us. But, Lord, we do. And so teach us, Lord, to reach out, to express with our words that we indeed love one another in the Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.